Hi, I'm Nora, and I love church. Fruit we're experiencing in America right now of racism and inequity is attached to the root. Like, the, the, the more we can expose the root, we're going to change the fruit. We can keep kind of like picking the fruit and hoping for a new season of different results. And we might get some different results by spraying some things on it. You know what I mean? And, oh, here, let's spray but like the root really needs to be addressed. And, um, and I think we need to quite honestly own our history. Um, say it, um, teach it, explain it, um, come to a reckoning with it. Yeah, defund the church, rebuild the kingdom, ain't no doubt Time to wake up because the church walls shouldn't be there to keep people out Yeah, let's come together, ready for change, now is the time We are one unit that is under God, let's put an end to the racial divide uh, I gotta scream it out louder, let's rebuild the kingdom from the ground up Bringing unity in the community and keep the Holy Spirit all around us Yeah, yeah, defund the church, let's go I'm Frank here with Pastor Justin of the Belong Collective, and we're just so excited you could join us on this podcast. If you haven't already, please subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, and all other major podcast platforms, and please leave us a rating. Five stars, please. Um, before we get into the podcast tonight, Pastor Justin, you know, we always talk about a lot of different things, varied topics, but why should the listeners uh, that are tuned in now continue to subscribe or subscribe for the first time? Um, to defund the church. Yeah. So defund the church. We also couple that with rebuild the kingdom. It's not just about defunding the church. And by the way, we're not like pro to take your money away from your church. The, the point of defund the church when we launched this was to say, Hey, um, if churches are unwilling to have necessary conversations, then we should be willing to say this should like it, churches who are emphasizing their budgets, emphasizing their power, emphasizing, um, you know, not having difficult conversations because of wanting to keep people in the seats. Like these aren't good reasons. And, uh, and uh, if that means we have to walk away from our communities, if that means we even have to consider taking our money, <laughs> going to another church, I don't know. I mean, that, that's, to me, that's like a, in some ways that can be seen as manipulative and we recognize that. But the purpose and point of this is to say, let's have the conversations that the church has avoided for so long. And let's make those such a priority that we're willing to walk away because it's beginning to do a lot of harm when our churches aren't talking about the inequities that exist in our churches, when our churches aren't talking about just things that are so relevant to our life as Christians and followers of Christ. And we're just kind of ignoring it or um, potentially even only emphasizing one side of it in a world that's becoming infinitely complex. And so we want to have those conversations here. And in having those conversations, uh, we're not always going to get it right. But the goal is for us to hopefully open a conversation and you can participate, comment on our uh, Instagram, um, on the podcast pages, comment, let us know what you're thinking. Uh, even in your reviews, let us know if there's a particular topic you want us to, uh, to cover or uh, a particular response you have to, to one of the episodes, we'd love to hear it. Um, our goal here is to just spark some necessary conversations um, as we kind of imagine what it looks like to kind of rebuild the church really based on the kingdom. Uh, so that's kind of 
a good little background on what we're about here and hopefully what you'll find as you listen to us. Hey Amen. Thank you. Thank you, Pastor, for that. Um, again, a great introduction for those who, who, you know, even those who listen, just hearing it, I think it's important to understand that the church is supposed to drive uh, these things, drive transformation. And without these conversations, we really can't do it. Um, you know, one of the things, obviously, we had an election recently, um, and unless something strange happens, uh, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris will be the next president and vice president of the United States. Uh, obviously, Kamala Harris made history being the first uh, African-American and Asian woman to be and woman and just to have the be vice, and vice president. So a lot of boxes checked. Um, I know eight years ago when Barack Hussein Obama was sworn in, everybody said, hey, racism is over. Clearly, um, it was not as, as we have, you know, eight years later with some of the speech that kind of came into play and even now four years later. So what, what I wanted to kind of talk about tonight is, you know, one of your, your, your heart for, you know, defund the church was, you know, the idea of the structural racism that existed in the church sometimes had actually um, kind of, how would you say, enabled, so to speak. Um, just not losing focus in this season where there's obviously a lot of, you know, contention about maybe the election and, you know, going forward, maybe different things, but how does the church stay centered on dealing with the issues of racism um, in this next season and not losing sight of the work that needs to be done? No, that's, uh, that's a great question. So because we had a president for eight years, uh, that was a minority does not mean uh, that uh, racism has gone. If anything, it might've actually revamped racism in a way that brought it to the forefront even more so uh, allowed, uh, you know, the, the first president ever to be seated in a position of the presidency while also having someone discredit his birth certificate, like the only president who's had that, um, and literally having the state that the birth certificate was issued in say, this is a valid birth certificate. He really was born here. No, he couldn't have been born here. Like, I mean, just racism became very uh, overt where it was covert, I think, before. So it, it might even be that, um, that, that racism thrived even more, um, not through policy, but through people feeling emboldened. Um, and then I think in the last four years, we've seen even more of that, all kinds of reasons we can point to. And so I think anybody who has this pie in the sky idea that um, we have, you know, president elect Biden and vice president elect Harris, who are going to uh, usher in a post-racial utopia. Um, yeah, yeah, not going to happen. I do think they can take some great strides toward policies that are going to be more equitable for people. And we should uh, hope for that. I think uh, wh whatever side you're on, I mean, I hope you would hope that uh, we can bring about some police reform that will hopefully uh, allow for the way uh, minorities have been policed in comparison to white people um, more equitable uh, and ultimately police reform in general, that's just going to make, um, uh, less instances of violence all around because white people experience violence from the police that's unnecessary all the time too. So I, I think um, th that that's something that um, Vice President-elect Harris has experience in as well with her background uh, that might come in handy. I think also though, recognizing that like Biden was also, you know, when you look at his particular background, 
uh, he has uh, some, you know, uh, incarceration issues and things like that. Some of the things he's lobbied for and even written up. So I, I, I guess what I would say is we have roots in America that are very deep. Um, and I always say it this way, and I say this institutionally of the church, but I also say it of any business, say you're two-year-old, you're a two-year-old business. Um, the fruit of your business is attached to the root. Like, so the fruit we're experiencing in America right now of racism and inequity is attached to the root. Like, the, the, the more we can expose the root, we're going to change the fruit. We can keep kind of like picking the fruit and hoping for a new season of different results. And we might get some different results by spraying some things on it. You know what I mean? And, oh, here, let's spray. But like the root really needs to be addressed. And, um, and I think we need to, quite honestly, own our history. Um, say it. Um, teach it, explain it, um, come to a reckoning with it. I think in the church, we got to do the same thing, right? Like church history is history. Like the church, the church, uh, lobbied for slavery, lobbied for segregation. Like, uh, we, we were, we certainly had, you know, people who were abolitionists and people who were, you know, desegregationists. So I'm not saying that the whole church did, but I'm saying for periods of time, the majority or more of the church, like, a significant majority of the church um, allowed these things to take place. It was Christian people who even participated in these things. And so um, we have some roots that have to be uh, addressed, uprooted, um, new seeds planted um, that, that that's going to flourish some new kind of fruit. Now, what does that look like? Cause you're probably like, well, okay, that's a great metaphor, but what does that look like? What it means is like, we can't just think one administration is going to change everything. Like it means we have to have a longer view of this. This is going to take time. It's going to take re-education. Certainly there's policies we can implement now that are going to bring about a more just world, um, going to address inequities that exist in our world. But we also need to think about changing people's hearts. And part of that is, um, you know, uh, being gracious with people, but also recognizing that like some people ha have, have a poor education and understanding of what our background of our country is. And honestly, a poor education and understanding, not, not because they didn't have their face in a book or maybe they don't even have, maybe they have multiple degrees, but they've never actually um, experienced life in the inner city. Uh, they've never actually seen uh, the inequity of educa our education system, for example. Um, they've um, never experienced um, some of just the uh, inequities in housing, for example. Um, so I guess I'm saying an administration is not going to change all of these inequities. There's just too many boxes that need transformed. But I do think we can begin the process of exposing how we got here and owning it and then moving forward. Um, you have to own how you got here before you can set a new course um, or else you're just constantly going to be setting a new course without addressing 
what got you here in the first place. And ultimately you're going to make mistakes that you made back there. Um, I don't think that means we have to like, you know, trash America. I mean, there's great parts of America. There's great things America has done. I think the thing is, is we need to tell the whole story. You know what I mean? Um, my son did a report on George Washington last year, did this whole report on him. I might've shared this before already. I don't, I don't remember, but uh, did this whole report on him. And then um, <laughs> he didn't, he, in, in that report and he had read multiple books and, you know, done multiple things. He never found out that, you know, he had slaves. And, uh, and when he found that out, he was shocked. He was like, that's not possible, dad. That's not possible. And I had to like literally stop and be like, son, he did. It is possible because it happened. And like, I had to tell him that like three times before he finally like believed me. And the reason I tell that story is because he's very young. My son's nine years old. He already had in just one report created this perfect ideal um, character that was George Washington that never did anything wrong. That was this like perfect heroic, you know, individual. And I think we should tell the whole story. I'm not heroic. Whenever my life story is over and people tell my story, they can certainly focus on the good things. And I would love that, but I'm flawed. I've made mistakes. I, I, I'm not perfect. Like don't, you don't do anything great to my legacy by acting like I was some perfect human being who never made a misstep or who never um, even potentially did things that really harmed other people. Um, and in this case, we're talking about slavery, like something very serious that did harm many people um, that this individual participated in. We need to say that we need to, to me, like it's actually better for us to teach our nine-year-olds that, so that they know that, so that they don't have this idealized understanding of our forefathers, that they were flawed individuals. And um, there's all kinds of reasons for those flaws. But in doing that, we begin to say, okay, I have to like be aware of even my own flaws. Like it, be it begins this process of recognition that, that we, we need to be active. You could be someone as bright and intelligent as George Washington and still be making active flaws systematically in your world. Like if you tell the whole story, you begin to actually create the potential for an inward look at your own flaws. And that's where I think we need to be as America right now and as the church right now. It's such a great opportunity in this moment to begin to do some of that. Um, and I think the church has that option. And, and when it comes to the issue of race, we just have so much to, to do and it's going to be a process, but Frank, what are your thoughts? I mean, you, um, as an African-American man, like you, you probably have all kinds of things that you might find. Like, I, I, I would assume to some degree, there's some relief that you're experiencing maybe in that. Uh, I, I don't know if there's relief in that this administration's coming in that might, um, you know, create some new policies that might be more helpful, but there's also probably some like, I'm not going to get my hopes too high because I don't really know how much is actually going to legitimately change. And, and it could also be that backlash that we kind of experienced in the Obama era, right? I don't know. Tell me what you're thinking. So it's interesting you said, do I feel relief? So there is a, you know, just, you know, speaking transparently, um, you know, 
on this podcast, you know, I, I'm not a supporter of the president. And, you know, as you listen to previous podcasts, I don't believe that if you, whoever you support politically defines your salvation or your Christianity, anything like that. Um, but just speaking personally, I felt like one of the things that I'm, I'm big on is, is integrity. And I felt like this administration was not, that wasn't their strong suit. And I'm not saying that every, I know some people have the false equivalents of all politicians lie, but I just feel like there was trafficking in, 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 in um, dishonesty that was just made okay. Um, and, and so from that standpoint, I just, I, I, I guess the thing that was, that I'm looking hopefully forward to not just in this administration is just, so, just, just a, a place where we can get back to discussing things, hopefully at a level which where they are not, not trying to sensationalize and not trying to make it seem better or worse, but just looking at it as it is. The truth of the matter is, you know, it has racism. There are certain things that haven't changed systemically, right? But overall, there are people who are much better, much, much more understanding of how wrong and how sinful slavery was. And I think that as Black people, sometimes we 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 have a way to kind of short circuit the whole thing and be like, oh, we look at Trump and or his administration or just the people that came along with it, even taking the administration out, just the rise away, and we say, oh, nothing ever changed. And we can't. And I, I disagree with that because. Um, I believe that if it hadn't changed that Trump would have been elected again. I mean, there's a lot of, you know, obviously there was a huge turn on the black vote, but I still think that there's a number of white people who repudiate those kind of dishonest, those kind of claims. And we have to understand that, um, you know, in this season where you're talking about racism is you have to realize that it exists and both parties have trafficked in it, as you mentioned. So from a standpoint of, you know, Joe Biden, obviously, and this is this is a softball, you know. Yeah, he was part of the crime bill, but there was a lot of people who were part of it too. I mean, it was kind of a, a unanimous thing. It was one of those things that seemed like a good idea, but they, you know, the law of unintended consequences, which led to unfair sentencing, which led to other things, which were kind of maybe wasn't as well known. If you've ever watched the documentary Thirteenth, and you've seen understand Alec, and you understand, okay, the crime bill fed into this. Whereas if the crime bill, if the prison industrial system wasn't built, maybe the crime bill doesn't become as big a deal, but then the crime bill became a funnel into the prison industry complex. Be like, hey, we got these prisons built, let's fill them up. Oh, we've got we've got a pipeline to fill up because we got these rules. So you gotta look at the whole picture of things and, and did the Congress have all knowledge of that? Some of them did, maybe some of them didn't, but I think what you gotta look at is you can't, certainly for as a black person, like it's it's just the real the realism is there's white supremacy baked into things. So you can't think that just an administration change is going to fix centuries-long problem. Um, what I'd really like is just the honest conversation to continue where, as you said, people can continue to get better, continue to expose the information they don't know, because I think it really comes out. A lot of this information, some of the people just are they're not, they're not gonna change. Some people just wanna be hateful. But there's a lot of people that just don't understand. And I think mm -hmm. about your son, and I think about you, and I think about, you know, I, I you're, you're, you're um, you know, it's, it's amazing because what if you didn't know that to tell your son and you both are growing up and you're both like, oh, George Washington was a great guy. He didn't have slaves or you didn't even think about that. And so now your son has a more critical eye for making sure thing people like, okay, he's going to make sure he knows there's more, there can be more to something than what's presented. And a lot of people just have that George Washington told, you know, told you he was honest. He didn't chop down or chop down a cherry tree and told him he did it. <laughs> right. Like there's, 
there's that view of him and that's all they have and there's no and so and so when the people talk about the founding fathers and they get mad at Kaepernick kneeling and all this and that they're taking all these images that have yep. been I, I use the term whitewashed in some ways that or have been shined to where it's like oh the forefathers of the military all this you're standing against this and it's like well you know those forefathers really weren't even for people that look like me but that's okay and they've never been in a majority in like a majority way and so I just, I just think that, you know, what I'm hoping for to not lose conversation is just to continue, not just having the conversation, but also doing things where churches are doing events where they're, they're, they're having unity events. I know right now it's difficult because of COVID, but it's just like, there's going to have to be some just, hey, black and white people got to have to get together and do some, you have to be intentional about who you are have a relationship with. Like we now have a portal into a new, new, a new thing, right? We haven't been able to meet, we talked about this in a previous podcast, but Hey, I'm black and you're white. So now I bet I, I know more black people. I'm sure you know more white people. That is a new thing where if we do something in the future, we're going to be able to bring a divide again. People are going to say, oh, Justin is really cool. And people say, Frank's really cool. And then together, our witness together will break down barriers where people who maybe didn't know that white people had an understanding of their perspective or could, or could listen to them. I think there's a lot of mistrust for black people because we just feel like, we're, we 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 have speaking from a black man's perspective. One of the reasons I want to do these podcasts and have these hard conversations is because I want to be the witness for for my you know brothers and sisters in Christ who are black that that we have to still maintain patience even when people don't understand and people we you know, we can't just give up and say it's 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 still our job in some areas to explain things that maybe white people don't understand. That's not saying that they're they just don't have the experience and so they didn't have to deal with certain situations, certain issues. So let's not vilify those who don't know versus those who don't want to know. Once you find out somebody, then that's fine. They don't want to know. They don't want to change. But there's a lot of people who their experience has been has been non-existent or has been very limited. And so they just have gone off the stereotype has, that's been given them. And then, you know, we have an interaction with them. And all of a sudden it's like, well, this guy is he's no different. And that's why, you know, I've talked about before. It's not that social media isn't okay. It's just that these interactions aren't going to happen on these platforms where you don't know somebody. And mm -hmm. so we just have to um, be more intentional about engaging. Um, I feel like with other, with, with other races, mostly black and white people, right? Because that's really the tension in this country. Um, I, I get it. There's been some issues, you know, you think about Pearl Harbor with Japanese, but I mean, it's not the same. They're, 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 this, this is the seed that this country was built on. I mean, I guess you could add the Native Americans in there too. I don't want to, belabor that but the fact that we were brought here and not even recognized as people for you know a long time and then you know just all the things it's like this is part of the reconciliation that 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 you know i feel like with george floyd started coming up and then it's kind of got a little distracted with covid and then the election but we have to continue to drill down um you know things like you know 1619 project things that increase education because one of the things i, I want to say is the Daughters of the Confederacy was a real thing, is a real thing. And they and they co-opted history in a way that made things that were very nefarious and, and hideous in our country look like it wasn't a big deal. I mean, there was even textbooks that were like, oh, slavery was just, you know, kind of like, you know, an indentured servitude. It was almost like an internship. Oh, yeah, well, you go to America and do slavery for a few generations and then you're out. I mean, it was, it was, and I'm, I'm being a little bit sarcastic, but what I'm saying is, we have to come to grips with the horror of, you know, families being separated, 
children being raped, um, you know, daughters, men being lynched, having their genitals. I mean, like go and read the stuff. It is, it is horrific. And we can act like, oh, you know, we're past it. And we are to some degree, we've moved past it, but at the same time, we'll never um, come to grips with it. We don't understand the trauma that it's caused because one thing I'll say is this, when a lot of psychologists have already proven that trauma can be passed down to generations, right? Like the trauma that came with slavery, those things. But I also look at, well, if trauma can be passed down in a negative way, it can also be passed down in a superiority way. So you almost have this implicit notion where people, where people say white privilege is like, well, it's passed down because we've had this, this, this unholy relationship in this country where it was like the black man was always you know, a little less. He was always on the bottom. There's always something he had to climb over. And, and you saw that in 2008. If Barack Obama, if you had said, hey, we don't like him because his policies promote, you know, uh, he, he goes against the biblical family or whatever, because he did, he did, you know, support gay marriage. And so those kind of things, if you wanted to criticize him for that, I think that's perfectly fine as a Christian. But, but it was so crazy to see Christians who are trafficking in, he's not a citizen. That was the main criticism, that was the main platform, that was Donald Trump's on-ramp. It wasn't a policy, right, which would have been fine. That's how you should, you know, enter. It was like, this guy's a Muslim, he's not a citizen. And I think that the distrust that white people have that if black people get into power that we're going to just like have an uprising, that still exists. Like it, whether or not it's it's admitted, it's like there some of that was there because there's no way Donald Trump would have stoked those fears if that wasn't there in black people's minds. Like, what are those black people? What are they really going to do? And the truth of the matter is, we're, we're we have to re always remember we're more alike than different, and we're all creating the image of God. And at the end of the day, like black people really don't want white people to go through what they went through. We just want to 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 not have to deal with the invisible things that are kind of around now, right? We don't we're not necessarily worried. I mean, I mean, and there's some visible things too, but there's a lot of invisible things too. And I think that's what we want to do is continue that conversation, knowing that. There's a lot that has to be done in an education standpoint, and we have to be open to knowing that Martin Luther King is is not enough of, of the mm -hmm. of the history to and, and you know Rosa Parks and the Civil Rights Movement is not enough of Black history for you to really understand how to come down this reconciliation path. You have to go back and read some things that are make you uncomfortable. Yeah, and I think we have to be okay with that and knowing that God has covered that right. Like we still have to know that. And I said this before, every slave is not in heaven. Every slave master is not in hell. We're going to have to learn how to deal with the difficult things and understand God's grace and how that works with that. And, and like I said, I, I just, I just, I'm just hopeful that at some point we'll be able to have a discourse that says, yes, there are some inequities and we're working on it. And, and, when, and we may not fix it for a long time, but we're going to work on it. As long as it takes, we're going to work on it. We're not yeah. going to slap affirmative action on it. We're not going to slap a whatever thing on it. We're going to continue to work until he makes everything new. Mm. And we have to have that mindset. That's that's what I would say about it. Yeah. And and that's that that idea of like our call in prayer is to to call for heaven to come to earth. And we have a participation in that. And that's why this matters. It doesn't just matter because it's social change or some political idea that we want to carry it's the idea that we're all image bearers of god and we should we should advocate for that being the way we're seen in the world that we're, we're we have equal value um and so one of the things i appreciate about martin luther king jr 
I've read a lot of what he's written. And one of the things I think is interesting that a lot of people don't recognize is that he was very strategic in the towns that he would go to and in the causes he would take up. And part of that strategy was he wanted to be seen. And, and some people might be very critical of that, but he was, you know, <laughs> let me just be honest. Anybody who's an activist, the first thing you need to do is get seen. Like you need, you need to expose, you need to be seen. And so when Martin Luther King Jr. would do things, there would be uh, an assessment of how visible was this resistance going to be? How, how, how much press would they have? How much would they be seen? And even when they would, knew they would experience resistance, even resistance that would ultimately even be their bodies being broken and, and bloodied, um, the idea that people are going to have to see this and it's worth it because when people see this, they'll see how broken this is. And I, I don't want to trivialize the last four years or make, you know, as, as a person of privilege, but I will say one thing the last four years has especially done is it's brought to light our racism. And look, if you want to completely ignore it, if you want to pretend it, 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 but there's been such an emboldening of it that it's become center stage and it's hard to ignore. It's present. It's with us. We can't just ignore it. And that's something King wanted to do. He wanted to make it to where you couldn't just say, well, that's not true. Well, that's not true. That's not right. That's not, that's just your interpretation. It's like, at a certain point, you get the video evidence and you're like, oh, this isn't an interpretation. This is wrong. Like, do you know what I mean? Um, and I do think one of the things that's interesting to me as someone who has done work in activism circles is just how many new people in the last four years have kind of stepped across that line and said, what can I do to help? Who, who, who weren't like actively racist necessarily, um, but who are just kind of middle ground people who are like, I don't want to get involved. I don't, this isn't really that important. Like uh, it, it matters, but I, I've got other things. I'm like, but just people who have crossed that line and said, this is a problem and I want to be part of the solution. And so I, I'm personally encouraged by that. And I would say there are people who uh, attend your church that have been in that crossing the line kind of moment of like, um, I need to, you know, uh, stand in unity with these people who are clearly experiencing a different America than I am. Right. Um, so I, I think there's a lot that can be built off that. I think the problem is if we expect that, like, <laughs> let me put it this way. If we spent the last four years shining a light on institutions that are racist on acts that are racist on all this, and then we just go right back into the shade in the, over the next four years, we've done ourselves no good because it still exists. Does that make sense? There's no amount of policy that Joe Biden's going to be able to implement with exec, with executive, you know, orders that's going to just change everything. Again, might bring about some more just things, but this is going to be a problem that's with us for a long time because it's in the roots and it's going to take an uprooting, which is a process. Um, and it is a painful process to uproot, right? Um, to be foundationless. It is a, a difficult process. Um, and so we got to work through that. And, uh, and I'm, I'm hopeful that, um, you know, one of the things that's interesting here too, is that we have an unprecedented reality that we're stepping into as Americans. And, and this is 
not something we've talked about, but it's probably important that as we're kind of revisiting racism right now that we kind of just briefly address this and people can do more work on this. But Generation Z, which is the generation coming after millennials, will be the first generation in American history, American history, where um, minorities outweigh uh, white individuals. So all minorities put together outweigh the pop population-wise um, white Americans. We, we are experiencing a cultural shift like we've never had before. And um, there's going to be an adjustment necessary for that. Um, you would hope we would have done the work to prepare ourselves for that, right? Um, that we would have um, accepted and embraced other cultures um, and uh, mended our, our past brokenness, right? But we haven't. And um, as our communities become more diverse, it's going to cause people's fears to be acted upon. And that's what we're seeing. And so we have an obligation to continue to expose those fears and ultimately how misplaced they are, especially when they're saying I'm better than somebody because I'm white or somebody else's, you know, I just watched a video today. Uh, I mean, I follow a few attorneys online and this attorney uh, posted a video of a neighbor uh, coming to someone's house, coming to her neighbor's house across the street with a taser because their dog was in the front yard and she said her dog attacked her. His, his dog attacked her dog. He has the whole thing on video that his dog never attacked. Dog didn't even bark. Like, and she got like, it was a total Karen situation, but she came to the point to where she's like, she's like, she literally said, why don't you guys stop acting like you're black? Like you're in a white neighborhood, act like you're white. And that's so offensive. Like I'm not trying to, I don't want to in any way remove how offensive that is. That's incredibly offensive, but I want you to just pause for a minute and just Think about what that woman's experiencing. Okay. That woman is, I think probably in her seventies is what I'm guessing. Sixties or seventies. Um, she has probably always lived around white people. Never had a neighbor right across the street from her. That's black. That is a gross adjustment to have to go through. If you've been taught your whole life to fear black people. Um, we are going to have a lot of that in America over the next four, 10, 20, 30 years as this generation where minorities outweigh whites. And that, by the way, that trend's only gonna continue beyond generation Z, okay? So it's not like this generation and then it's gonna reset back to what it was before or something. Um, that trend line is just going to be part of America. And the truth is, is like our children, Frank, you're and I children, uh, they're not going to have an issue with that. They're not gonna be raised to be afraid of one another because ultimately they're gonna be exposed to one another at an earlier age and a lot of whatever biases they're handed are going to be exposed as false a lot earlier. Um, and so, so many people have been caught in this habit loop and enculturated in this way where they're afraid. And all I thought about the whole time I watched this video was even though I was angry with this woman, I was like, she's so afraid. I wish, I wish she could be saved from this fear. 
And I think there's something for us to be said as, as the church, as people who love our enemies, okay, that we need to be advocating for the healing of individuals who have been handed a lie that they need to be afraid, who have been handed a lie that this person is, should not be given the benefit of the doubt, should not be seen as an image bearer of God, should be seen only as the potential evil that they could do. Um, that's not the way we're called to see each other. Um, and we have such an opportunity, I think, as the church to advocate for something different and to say, there's no fear in love and we're called to love fully. And ultimately from that place, we are most Christ-like. And so um, lots of love is going to be needed um, in the next, you know, in the future in general. But as these tensions continue to rise, because demographically, it seems like they're only going to rise no matter who the president is, no matter who our representatives are, uh, that tension is going to be there. And we're going to need to address it as the church in a way that embraces and advocates for love. Yeah, I think I think that sums it up perfectly. We, we have to cast out fear. Perfect love casts out fear. Yeah, um, we have to remember that. So again, I want to thank everybody for listening. Um, just Pastor Justin, just thank you again for just, you know, again, love is the thing. We, we, we cannot traffic in hate and fear mm. um, and expect to see these, these things, these problems go away. It's, it's everyone's problem. I think when we accept that, um, then, then we'll be better, certainly as the body, and we have to continue to do that. So again, I want to thank all our listeners. Um, continue to, um, you know, give us a rating, leave us feedback. You know, visit defundthechurch.com, become part of the movement. You know, there's mm -hmm. there's information there that will help you um, get started if you need, you know, talking points to talk to your church about these different issues, different things. Uh, like I said, these are just conversations that are going to take time, but you need to have them in love. Don't go there with a haughty spirit. Don't go there. And, you know, even if you've been convicted and somebody else is not, you need to give people time. Pray for people. Pray for your pastors. Um, pray for individuals who you know are on the wrong side of things as far as this racism thing is concerned, uh, give them time. Um, but, but also, you know, understand that everybody's not going to be changed and everybody's not going to be moved. So I just want to, again, um, just encourage you to continue to listen, continue to walk with the Lord. That's what we're doing here. We don't know everything. We say that many times and we really mean it. Um, but we do enjoy a great conversation and we feel like we're opening hearts and minds. Uh, we, we've always been praying for the spirit to come in. So we just pray that, you know, you receive these words and they help you in your journey and these different issues we're talking about, especially one as big as racism. So again, I want to thank everybody for listening. We love you guys and we'll see you very soon on another episode of Defund the Church. Thank you for listening to the podcast. Please subscribe and iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, and automated podcast platforms. And also, don't forget to visit defundthechurch.com where you can find news and information on how to support this movement and rebuild the kingdom.